This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features more than 100,000 titles, including science books like Mary Roach's new book, Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal, and Thinking Fast and Slow by Nobel Laureate Daniel Kahneman. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash cyan. Welcome to the Scientific American podcast, Science Talk, posted on April 16th, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. A fistulated cow is a, you, you put your arm in and you feel, uh, it, first of all, inside the room and it's a, it's a, Fermenting. It's a composter. It's hot in there. And that is Mary Roach, author of Stiff, Spook, Bonk, Packing for Mars, and now Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal. Mary's book tour took her from her West Coast home to New York City, so we met up early on the morning of April 3rd at her hotel in Midtown to chew the fat. Be warned, some graphic language and subject matter is ahead. Mary, you're you're chewing on tampons. You're sticking your arm into a cow, living cow's stomach. You're you're not hooping, but you're writing about it. How do, you've got the entire digestive tract, alimentary canal covered. The whole How, food shoot, from pie hole to butthole. <laughs> and uh, how did how did the book? germinate. I'll tell you how it germinated. Well, there were some contributing factors other than this, but this was a story many moons ago. The assignment was flatulence, and I went to the Beano Corporation where they have a research center, and I was a subject. And and my editor at the time, and I shall not name names, but she didn't have quite the same sense of fun that I do. And so the piece, I felt that I didn't wasn't able to capture the true joys and surprises of flatulence research. And I got this sense that there was there's just so much more fun to be had on the alimentary canal than I had been able to have in this thousand-word story. She kind of took all the gas out of it. <laughs> she let the air out, Steve. <laughs> and so that was the beginning. And How did yeah. you decide that you wanted to just do, you know, from A nine, to Z? The whole nine yards. Yeah. And it is around nine yards. Although that's not where that term comes sure. from. I don't know. It, this just right up my stinky little alley, isn't it? <laughs> just, isn't it? Is it any surprise that I did this book, really? No. Uh, when you consider the last one, I remember w- when the space book came out. Uh, what was what was the title again? Packing for Mars. Packing for yeah. Mars. We had an extended discussion on the the trials and tribulations of, you know, going to the bathroom in weightless conditions. So this is yeah. this is in some ways a natural extension. It, it, it is indeed. I had a lot of fun with that chapter. People who hadn't read the book, who only heard the publicity, uh, believe that I wrote an entire book about going to the bathroom right. in zero gravity. It's not true, ladies and gentlemen, one chapter. But that chapter drew a tremendous amount of attention, which also led me to think, I'm not the only one with a 12-year-old sensibility when it comes to these things. And, and that it, it's, it's setting aside childishness. I think it's... Uh, you know, everybody everybody has these organs inside them. And, you know, let's say hello. Let's say howdy-do to our interior. And I mean, uh, Didn't Aristophanes make fart jokes? 
I believe so. Yeah. So yes, he took it to a, a, a perhaps a higher level than I've been able to do, but yeah, yeah, getting right down to it, it's it's a it's a very it's an it's the whole the whole business, even the mouth, not just you know, you know I'm doing the whole the nose, even the nose, the noble nose is in the mix. So so uh, I um, I just found I found it interesting, and I'm kind of a I I like to write a, about what I find interesting. So so let, let's talk about why were you chewing on a tampon. <laughs> well, the, take a take a sip of water first yeah. to start the process. Start mean, the- what could be more appropriate? You just gulped some water. Some water. Yeah. I. Why was I chewing on a tampon? Well, uh, it wasn't just a tampon. It wasn't a feminine hygiene device. It was the uh, Salivart collection system, and it's collecting stimulated saliva, which is the kind of saliva that is produced when you chew on something, and your body, I, your body's. Um, you, you would think it would only happen when you chew on food, but your body's kind of like, well, who am I to say what she's planning to swallow? Whatever you put in your mouth and chew on, your body's going, okay, I can moisten that for you. I can help you here. Let me produce some saliva. And in the case of a tampon or the salivart collecting wad, um, it's a very uh, uh, challenging. It's a challenging item for the. Uh, the saliva too. So it's producing, you're producing a lot of, when you chew on something, your, your body's producing saliva, this tampon or il tampone in, in Italian, the directions were in four languages. So when you chew on il tampone, uh, maybe that's the plural, I'm not sure. Uh, it collects it. It's also collect, absorbing it. So then you can take it out, put it in a centrifuge, get the stimulated saliva out and then see how much you produced. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the lab of Erica Saletti, who's a beautiful Italian woman. Who's devoted her this portion of her career anyway to the study of saliva? She was so upset when she uh, gave her first lecture on the subject, and people didn't take it all that seriously. <laughs> no, she she was. I think it was a dental conference, and uh, and uh, she said they they think of it as as moistening, and that's all. <laughs> she was very she was very uh, offended that. And, and I know, now that I've spent a day at her lab, I understand why she would be. A little, not, not, not hurt, but, uh, um, chagrined that, that people were failing to appreciate the miraculous properties of saliva and all the many, many things it does, which I could get into here if you wanted me to, but. It's natural when you find something fascinating to be a little hurt when other people don't think it's as interesting. Yeah. So, uh, give me, give me three interesting things about saliva that all of us people who have it probably don't know about it. All right. Uh, it has, uh, it has anti, people think of it as this, dangerously bacteria-ridden. And then there is a lot of bacteria in saliva because anytime you touch, you know, your food, put your food in your mouth or your finger or whatever, you're introducing bacteria into a warm, moist, tropical paradise for the bacteria. So yeah, there is, but there, but your uh, saliva has all these uh, antibacterial elements and, and studies have been done. There was one where there was uh, a rodent, a couple of rodents and one of them, the salivary mechanism was disconnected. They, and they both had, they had wounds, and then the mouse that couldn't lick its wounds, the, he, the wounds healed more slowly. There are, uh, wound, uh, there's elements of saliva that help with wound closure and skin growth, and so it, it's a whole, uh, you know, there were old medical, um, you'd look back in medical texts from the 1600s and 1500s, and there'd be, um, apply the fasting saliva of a 70-year-old man to the shanker, and it will clean. <laughs> Cure you got to go find somebody else's saliva. You can't use your own. But, but yeah, which made no sense. Right. But I think it felt it would seemed more like a medicine if you, you know, if it was if it came from some other source. Right. But 
Um, but you know, animals lick their wounds, and sure. you know, in the whole business of kissing a baby's boo boo. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let me kiss it for you. There's a little bit of truth to that. What else? Saliva also. Saliva is, uh, this is an experiment that Erica Saletti did with me. She took a medicine dropper, had some vinegar, put it on my tongue. She goes, do you feel it? Do you feel it? It's coming in. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and it, it, it's this rush of saliva when you put anything acid, like in the pH range, one, one, two, three, anything that's, Vinegar, wine, orange juice, cola. Uh, you, and if you pay attention, which I had never done before, you do. You feel this like gush of body temperature liquid like rushing into your mouth like the cavalry, you know, just to dilute, to buffer the acid mm-hmm. so that you don't dissolve your tooth enamel, which, uh, you know, and that, and that acid in that range is pretty effective at uh, dissolving, softening your tooth enamel. So, uh, and it happens like, boom. You know, yeah. just instantly. It's and, and for days I was, you know, I would have, if I had a Coke or something, I would take a sip. And I'm like, there it is. Right. There's my saliva rushing in to save the day. Because the phosphoric acid in the Coke is so uh, yeah, pH. yeah, so low pH. So anything low pH, it's too and and uh, can uh, uh, like those citrus candies right. too, the same kind of which people uh, who don't have a lot of saliva. That's partly why those are helpful, because like, the acid makes you generate mm-hmm. saliva. You know, when reading the book, I was uh, I I remembered a friend's mother had um, lost the ability to smell, yeah. Yeah. and there's all kind because so much of flavor, as you point out in the book, is smell rather than the taste that happens on the tongue. Um, it, it's really disruptive because th- nothing has any kind of pleasurable aspect when you eat. So these people who've lost the sense of smell tend to eat a lot of creamy food, which is really high calorie because it's really fatty. And I remember an incident where um, my friend had given her mom a cookie and her mother chewed the cookie and then said, this is really good. How does it taste? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, I have a friend, uh, in fact, I just saw her last night who has almost no sense of smell. I, th- I don't know if it was a medication related thing or she doesn't know. She claims she has no sense of smell. We'll go out to dinner. Uh, I'm like, oh, what are you going to get? This all looks good. She's like, I don't know. The fish. Mm. Like, well, what? Yeah, I don't care. You know, and, and well, what wine should we get? I just get a cheap one. Mm-hmm. It's all the same to me. Cause all of the, you know, with wine, ta- wine, quote unquote, tasting, it should be flavoring, wine mm-hmm. flavoring. Cause it isn't tasting isn't what you're doing with wine for the most part. Um, it's all, yeah, it's all the, uh, the volatiles. Uh, volatiles being released and you hold it in your mouth, it warms up it gets released and goes up into the, through the internal nostrils <laughs> and opening in the, between the mouth and the nose, the internal nostrils. I love that. You have two sets of nostrils and it's going up then there, you being red in the nose. So, I mean, wine tasters, they could just they could throw away their tongue and still do their job practically. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit sweet. It's you know, not to say that there's no – the tongue is completely not uh, contributing. Sure. Now, you have this great uh, experiment you describe in the book. Speaking – you have a whole uh, bunch of information about wine in the book and, and our experience of it. And you have this experiment you talk about where um, some wine tasters were given a white wine – that was colored red, and they were careful to make sure that the coloring didn't change the flavor at all. Right. This was, and, and I love that it was in France, the University of Bordeaux. So we're talking wine people. 
And these were, um, it was, an, it was wine students at the university. I mean, they were, they were, these were high level wine people, but they're given a red and a white wine and they, they are told to write down descriptors as one does with wine, you know, all the, the different flavors. What are you, what are you getting from this, from this wine? So there's a red and a white. And then they're given another pair. And this time, the red wine is actually the very same white wine they just had, but with that red coloring. And here again, they've tested to make sure the coloring isn't changing anything in, right. the, in terms of the flavor. And now these people are using red wine descriptors. They've stopped applying the white wine descriptors. They think that it's red wine. And it's not to say that they're fools or phonies. It's just that uh, they're, they were letting their, the visual information trump what their nose was telling them. So, I mean, we're, we're just very visually oriented. We just tend to rely on visual cues. We process them more quickly. So, yeah, they, they thought that the white wine was red wine just because it was red. It's really amazing because yeah. their, their assumption about what it's going to be yeah. changes their perception of, right. of which you would think would be just a completely instinctual response, but it's not. No, it, no, and and I I liked when I've heard, I had heard about this study years ago, uh, when but when I actually got the study uh, and and saw that it was done in this wine region by uh, students in a wine, you know, what's that? Unifile, O E N, Unifile, I don't know, Unifile. How the hell do you pronounce that? But they were Unifiles. They were those people. They should have known. You know, it's not. It's, so it's not just like they sat down. You know, Joe Schmo from the tra- trailer park and said, "Hey, you know." Describe this wine for me. Not to say that people in trailer parks are not connoisseurs of wine. That was not fair of me. But but Joe Schmo from the trailer park might actually have done better on that test because you point out in the book that the novices can be more discerning than the people who have a lot of information coming in. Yeah, I uh, I tried out for the uh, there's a there was an olive oil taste panel up at UC Davis. Okay, and 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 they announced on their website tryouts, which to me is like an invitation to humiliate yourself. So I'm right there. Whether it's cheerleading tryouts, whatever it is, I'm there. Humiliate me. So uh, I went up there and I said, uh, "Well, I, first I emailed the woman Sue Langstaff was organizing, and I said, I don't have a, I don't have any background in in the olive oil industry. I have no experience. Is that okay?" And she said, "No, no, no. I want people like you because it's easier to train a know nothing than a know it all. Because if you if you've been in the industry, you think you know everything there is about." The flavors of olive oil. And she said, "I want people. I want people I can train." So, yeah, you're right. Having a quote unquote experienced palate or you know uh, trained nose isn't always what um, isn't always the best thing. So let's move down the uh, the alimentary canal, which is what they called it when I went to school. Apparently, now it's the digestive tract. Well, it is the digestive tract, but I, my f- sense of alimentary canal is that it included the above the neck stuff as well. It was that whole, you know, in the antacid ad where they show the right. guy when the, with his head turned to the side and the tube goes from the mouth all the way down. So that's what I'm thinking, alimentary canal, the whole thing. And I may be wrong, but that's why I right. chose it. It's a little old-timey. I also like it has that kind of, you know, cruising down the Danube feel, the alimentary canal. canal. I spent my summer on the alimentary canal. Plus you get all those bad Sherlock Holmes jokes. <laughs> alimentary, my dear Watson, right? Exactly. You'd be surprised how many... People mispronounce. I'm getting like elementary. People wow. say elementary. Interesting. Never heard that one. So further down the canal, yep. you, um, you've got your arm sticking into a live cow's stomach. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that <laughs> came about and how come the cow is cool with it. 
Okay, it's a fistulated cow or holy cow, as they do these students, the ag school students like to call them the the holy cows. Uh, a fistulated cow is a it's an educational item. You 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 put your arm in and you feel uh, it, first of all inside the room, and it's a it's a fermenting. It's a it's a composter. It's hot in there. I mean, the the cow uh, is 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 breaking down its food by bacterial action. It's not the same way, you know, we're, we're using gastric acid and enzymes. The cow's got a fermenter going on. Plus you put your arm in there and you feel these, un, these amazing contractions. I actually was worried my, a finger would break. It was, it was really that powerful. It's like this, like this industrial mixing machine going on and there's just waves of these powerful contractions. So it's a pretty instantaneous and amazing and unforgettable introduction to uh, the digestion of uh, um, animals other than us. This came about, I don't remember exactly why I ended up there, but um, I guess it was, I guess I, there's a part, portion of the book where I'm talking about um, animals that are feast or famine. They, they, they tend to be, you know, the, the big, it's, it's either you've got a, a, a fermenting process where you need a lot of material to get a bit of nutrition. So you got to take in a bunch of stuff. So you have a big, great, big fermenting device. Or in the case of a predator like a lion, uh, you, you're, you've got a very compliant stomach, as in it stretches out. You can hold, you can take down a gazelle, pack it all in, and lie around in the sun and digest for a few days because nobody's going to mess with you. So you get, so you tend to have, um, you have just different different animals depending on their environmental niche will have a different type of uh, compliancy to the stomach, and so uh, I guess that was it was in that mix that I ended up with my arm in a cow's rumen. But um, and I, I had gone there. I don't know why. When I go and do an interview, I I feel like I need to look presentable, and I'd worn you know, like a skirt and kitten heels, and you know, and I show up, and they're looking. And I was like, you're going to have to put some shoe covers on and I, there's a lot of manure here. Are you, are you sure you want to do this? All right, follow me. And they're just, you know, they're wearing muck boots and feed hats. And so here I am. There's photographs that just crack me up. <laughs> no, they didn't know that you're the woman who went to that tomato throwing festival in Spain many years ago. Oh yeah. La Tomatina. That's right. Wow. I remember you wrote about it for American Airlines in-flight magazine. Once you've done that, you'll do anything. Yeah, that way you end up at the end of the tomato fight. You are—I was I remember lying down. It was like a foot and a half of tomato salsa, basically. You're, the streets <laughs> are running with salsa. It's and the most amazing thing about La Tomatina, this crew of people come out with these wooden pushers and they push it all in. The, the sewers of that town are unbelievable because they push that stuff. It was gone in a couple hours. You would never know. Little bits of tomato here and mm-hmm. there, but anyway, that uh, yeah, uh, I'll um, another unforgettable experience so uh we've got you've we've got you in the cow's stomach um let's move on down a little further and uh, again you did not engage in hooping but you <laughs> spoke to a really top-notch hooper i did yeah hooping is uh, smuggling contraband in the rectum using the rectum for the purpose for which it evolved it's a storage device it's a you know, which is you should be grateful that you have this storage facility that you don't have to immediately find a place to deposit what's uh, coming down the line. So you, you know, it's a it's a, a very accommodating, as it turns out, uh, storage facility. There are uh, I, the folks at Avenal State Prison uh, let me come down and talk to not only to the people who deal the interdiction inter, interdiction, I guess mm-hmm. is the proper pronunciation. Uh, those folks, but also I interviewed a guy who was known to be a pretty um, brave and 
accomplished hooper, as in through the hoop, mm-hmm. through the ring. That's where hooper comes from. Uh, and uh, I, uh, we sat down and had an unusual <laughs> conversation. Well, unusual for me. Uh, I, I, I got the sense that, that uh, for him it was. I mean, everybody does it in prison. I mean, it's it's just the rectum is a it's a pocket. It's another pocket. It's just uh, not. Um, I saw video footage of a visitor's room where there was a guy sitting with his family. He's playing a board game with his son, and his wife passes off a little packet to him. He reaches back behind himself and puts his arm down his pants, and it's just as though he's putting his phone or his wallet back in his pocket. It was that fast, and that nothing went across his face. Just like, oh, let me let me put hold on, let me put that away for you. Mm-hmm. Just uh, um, oh, it's a just a way of life, and. Uh, but it takes a little uh, little getting used to because the, the rectum is, of course, not used to things coming in from that direction frequently in most cases. Uh, so there's a little bit of training they, that they do, walking around the cell holding mm-hmm. <laughs> holding things. And this guy had done, uh, what, three cell phones at the same time? He had done, uh, well, God, this was a, he, this, I don't, he, he said it was done on a bet. Someone else said it was, I, I'm not sure why, but he had taken two was two uh, antiperspirant containers in the, uh, on either end of a cardboard tube, taped it all up. It was a, a size of a large, it was like a, a big yam, big, large uh, object that had been. This, I think, this I created, think they're coming for right now. <laughs> that created a medical situation and it had to be it had to be removed. So he was notorious for his for his. Um, Hooping abilities, but the, and the reason he did it was you could, if you could smuggle contraband into the prison uh, that you pick up during visitors' uh, hours or whatever, and there's there's a black market for it within the prison, Correct. or a brown market, <laughs> brown market. That's right. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, uh, tobacco is the most common item. You know, they 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 would uh, find whole bags full. They call them spindles of. You know, it's just it's just a. It looks it looks like a yam. It's in and, and it's in latex and and. Um, they are smuggled in and sold. Yeah, it's a, it's a hugely inflated black market price. And cell phones are smuggled in because that enables you to do business deals and run your gang from right. in the prison, and that's frowned upon. So you get and and smartphones is uh, smartphones are a lot larger, so it's gotten tougher to be right. a hooper. You know, back in the days of there were a couple little phones that were very very. I think the sales of some of those little tiny phones that came on the market ten years ago, huge numbers of those were confiscated because the, you know, they're easier to. They're more comfortable. It's a more comfortable load. You don't want to yeah. try to get the Galaxy S3 <laughs> no, in there. No. no. So um, you you yeah. talk at the end about um, you and I have had a similar experience. We've we've been privileged to be awake mm. through an uh, endoscopic procedure. Yep. For you, it was a full colonoscopy. Right. For me, it was a sigmoidoscopy. Okay. And actually look through the viewfinder there. Yeah. And so I... Yeah. You talk about you know having your head up your ass, yeah. but for, I I when I when I did it I thought of it as like an Escher painting, <laughs> you know. And and one of the amazing things is just how pink and clean and oh, shiny yeah. and beautiful it is. Oh yeah, there's. Did you ever see the movie Galaxy Quest? Oh, of course. Okay, there's this scene when um what's his name Tony. Shalhoub. Shalhoub. Right. He he. They when he first comes on the spaceship and the door o- doors open, he goes, it's so. Clean. Right. <laughs> like right. that's what was going through my head. It's so 
clean. <laughs> it was. It was. Of course, it's been heavily cleaned sure. prior to the procedure. But it's just it's pink and shiny. It's like a new car. It's like a like like. Uh, what's it does the, not have that new car smell. It does though. not have that new car smell. What is it? You get the um, the the uh, is it the Avon lady? Who is it that gets the pink Cadillac? Oh yeah. Um, um it's not Avon. It'll it's come a, to me. Yeah, same here. Anyway, but it's like it's a it's this beautiful two names like Mary Mary Kay Cosmetics. Oh, okay, yeah. Good. Okay. Thank. Because I would have been bugging Good. the I'm glad day. we've equated them with the, the lower colon. <laughs> and it's not often I get to work Mary Kay into an interview. So, but um, I got to tell you, mine, you know, like we said, pink, shiny, beautiful, yeah. but on one of the little rings of muscle, yeah. just sitting there holding on for dear life, yeah. one tiny, solitary, green pickle seed. Really? It's hilarious. Oh, that's great. A little, and you ID'd it as pickle, not well, sesame seed. My not? doctor did. Oh, he don't. said, you had a pickle recently. They, they, I think they get a kick out of that. That, yeah. And I, uh, when I was, I would, for part of the book, I was, uh, at a place where they were putting, they were preparing the material for a fecal transplant. Yes. And I remember the guy who was preparing the substance, uh, calling out recognizable elements, uh, like peanut, <laughs> there's chili pepper. I'm thinking Kung, Kung Pao chicken. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like this little forensic, uh, I don't know what the, the forensic alimentary detective work going on. We had a whole show on fecal transplants with Marin McKenna recently. So I won't ask you to go into that, but the, uh, the last chapter of the book, mm-hmm. uh, discusses fecal transplants at length. Um, I, I abhor Fox News and any chance to, to show the kind of nonsense that they purvey is great. And you have a section in the book where you speak to an expert who talks about uh, somebody who said on Fox News that if a terrorist put a bomb up his rectum, he could take down a plane. And your expert says that that was, I think it was hogwash or something like that. Cod swallop. Cod swallop. I think it was a breast implant. They, they, they had a piece about, well, there were a couple of them, but there was one that was saying, Oh, that they, you could, you could, you could put the bomb in a breast implant or love handles. That was another one. Love handles that they were surgically implanting bombs in love handles. Yeah. Cod swallop. I love that. <laughs> he said that it would at yeah. most destroy the seat you're in, but it couldn't right. take down a plane. Right. Your body would absorb, uh, some, it's like tenfold. Uh, there's a tenfold decrease in the effectiveness of the bomb. If it's inside the body, you're going to de- very effectively destroy that body. You know, most of those bombs are working with the shrapnel and the nails and things that are in them. You're not going to, and even if you, if you blow out a little hole, blow out a window on a plane, Mythbusters did that where mm-hmm. they, it, they showed that even if the plane depressurizes, as long as people have oxygen, they can fly that thing. It's not going to blow up. Right. So it's just, it's, the wings are on there and the pilot's okay. You're coming down. I mean, intact. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. You're landing You're safely. landing safely. That's right. You, you point out in the book, uh, there, every hospital has an ass box. There's an episode of Scrubs where somebody thinks that it's the lost and found box. And the nurse says, we don't have a lost and found box. We have an ass box. The ass box. Yeah. This was a, uh, it was Anna Doty, the Mütter Museum curator. The Mütter Museum in Philadelphia has this fabulous collection of anatomical oddities and, and met weird medical devices and instruments and things and we got the, she's the one that said oh yeah every hospital's got an ass box but i i checked i put on twitter i said hey er people medical personnel is it true every hospital have an ass box some of them now just have files of the x-rays of the thing right. that was up the ass they don't actually uh necessarily keep the which isn't nearly as much fun i guess we should say the ass box is the box that the the emergency room people put everything that they take out of 
people's rectums that yes. wind up in the emergency room. Yeah. Some that's, fascinating that's items. Yeah, fascinating items, yes. Uh, cow's horns, uh, jeweler's saws, plantains. Uh, one, one guy, there was some paper that had multiple holdings under the term collections, which I liked. One guy had 402 stones. Uh, the other collection I liked was lemon and cold cream jar. Wow. Yeah. So uh, what's your next book going to be about? I, I, I honestly don't know, Steve. I really uh, – what, what I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't have another – You'll wait uh, until the muse yeah, taps yeah, down the shoulder. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not there. Well, um, everybody – you got Elvis's colon. You got the doctor-patient relationship where the guy had a fistula in his stomach and the doctor is – just basically keeping him as a 24-hour-a-day test subject, licking to to find out what what yep. the acid quality is. Yeah, it's everything from the nose to the other end of your canal. Um, it's a lot of fun. Everybody should go out and buy it immediately. Immediately, I mean, under penalty of law. <laughs> Mary Roach's new book is Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal, and it's available as an audiobook from audible.com. For a free book and trial membership, just go to audible.com slash Siam. And for all things Mary Roach, visit her website, maryroach.net. Well, that's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out Jennifer Fraser's article on what critters are living at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. By definition, the ones with mouths have trench mouth. Sorry about that. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.